You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, you guys want to go ahead and take your seats? So we got a couple people still coming in. Hey, just real quick, before we get started, um, Heather Hensey, are you up in here? Where's Heather? She's in the back. Stand up. All right, that's Heather. Uh, if you guys could look in the pews and see if there is a red Nike lanyard. There's keys on it and stuff. If anyone finds that uh, at any point, please give that to Heather. My man. That's, yeah, what up, Nigel? Nigel is a really good guy to know. So that's awesome. <laughs> Heather was a little bit worried. But her car was still outside, so we knew no one had stolen her vehicle, so that's good. We are in the ghetto, ladies and gentlemen. You never know what's going to happen up in here. Uh, so cool. If you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. And we are, uh, for the couple of visitors we have, we are continuing our study of 1 John. Uh, we've been in since like July or August of last year. Uh, it's called Simple Truths. And this has been a really great book for us to go through together. Uh, we've been reminded of a lot of the, of the essentials of our faith We've been encouraged many times and I would argue probably challenged every single week because John just writes just a, a really uh, challenging kind of hard letter. Um, and just so you guys know, we only have two more sermons left in this series after this one. Uh, before we move on to something else, we're going to be doing uh, a few months in the Psalms uh, this summer. And I'm going to call it Summer in the Psalms because that's cheesy and Baptisty, right? Let's just go with that. Um, I thought of John Gowdy whenever I named that because he's so cute. Um, but anyway, uh, but yeah, we're going to be having a couple of standalone sermons here in April uh, with uh, Dustin Cooley and Dave Allison preaching to you guys. Uh, and then we're going to be starting the series in Psalms in May. And I'm super excited. Just wanted to give you guys an update on that. Uh, but as you guys have noticed, the kids are up here with us. This is Family Worship Weekend. And kids, we are super stoked that you guys are here with us this evening. Uh, and as always, parents, don't worry. Right? A little bit of uh, more movement than normal is completely acceptable. Uh, it's all going to be fine. Um, and this is really good. I, I say every, every month, we really look forward to this. It's good for your kids to be up here with us. We, we love the children at our church. Right? And I want you guys to know children are not a nuisance to the people of God. Right? We, live in a, we live in a country where people want to kill their children. We, we live in a country where people want to give their children away and have nothing to do with them, and kids are viewed as a nuisance, but not in the church, right? We love our children. Um, so, yeah, kids, I really love you, and I pray for all of you individually. I just want you all to know that. Um, but, yeah, tonight we come to a really, really perplexing part of John's letter. Uh, so just being totally uh, straight up with you, there is a lot, lot of debate on these two verses, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 5. Uh, a lot of debate on what exactly John's getting at. Uh, and I had a bit of a hard time figuring this one out. And I always want to be transparent with you guys uh, because I'm always learning right along with you. Um, we always want to arrive at truth together. Uh, but in this text, John mentions, what's weird about it, perplexing, is that John mentions something called sin that leads to death and something else called sin that does not lead to death. All right, that's challenging enough. <laughs> I see some of you guys are looking down at your Bibles already. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, but we're going to for sure take some time and flesh that out. Uh, but I want you guys to keep in mind the context of these verses so we don't look at them as an isolated text. Um, John, in verse 13, has just men mentioned the assurance of salvation that we have. 
right, in Jesus Christ, that we know that we're saved. He writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that we might know that we have eternal life. So we have this confidence that we've been saved. Because of that, we have confidence that we are the people of God, that God is our Father. And then that bleeds into verses 14 and 15. Because of our assurance of salvation, we have confidence in prayer, that God hears us when we pray, that he grants our requests whenever we pray in accordance with his will. Right, so that's on John's mind whenever he writes these next two verses. Right? He, he has prayer on his mind. And not just prayer in general, but believers receiving what we have asked as we pray according to John's, or according not to John's will, according to God's will. We don't pray in, in the name of John. That was dumb. Um, but John now turns to the topic of intercessory prayer, right? Praying for other people. And specifically, John talks about praying for a brother or a sister who has fallen into sin and what we can expect as we pray for them. All right, so let me give you guys a summary for you note-takers out there. Summary of the, of the sermon is this. For the unbeliever, all sin leads to death. But for the Christian caught in sin, God promises to grant life and forgive. Therefore, believers ought to pray for and go to our brothers and sisters who have fallen into sin. All right, so with that being said, let's go ahead and look at the text. 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you've given us the ability to understand that you've, you've revealed yourself and your truth in a book that we can analyze and look at and, and, and in, in a language that we can understand. And we thank you for that. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding that that the Spirit would illumine the text to us this evening and let us see the truth that's here. Um, God, please help our attention spans that we could track through with what John's saying and that we would be blessed, that the unbelievers here would, would develop a fear of God that they might repent and believe the gospel. And for the believers here, that we would be encouraged to go to one another and pray and be encouraged in the great grace offered to us in the gospel. God, please help me. I am a weak man. And if you don't help me, I have nothing to say. Please bless us as we look at your word now. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so this is a pretty strange text, right? I mean, it's right out the gates. You can say that. That's not disrespectful. Not all parts of the Bible are clear, right? First chapter of the Baptist Confession says that. Some parts are harder to understand than others. And this is a really, really strange passage. And I know that everyone in here, or I would wager, everyone in here is wondering, what is the sin that leads to death? Right, Because I spent the first four days studying this text trying to figure out the answer to that question because you just can't get away from it. It eats at you because it's such a strange idea. So what is the sin that leads to death? We're going to address that first. So we're going to take this passage out of order. I'm going to pull a John Piper. And then we're going to end with the main point of the passage, uh, which is actually the first sentence in verse 16. That's John's big driving point. But John mentions sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. And I think follow this one, if we can understand sin that leads to death, 
what it means, then we're going to understand what sin that does not lead to death means. Right? So that's not confusing enough. We're just going to hit first what is the sin that leads to death, or rather what is sin that leads to death. First, what kind of death are we talking about here? Right? The death that John refers to here is not physical death. Right? And again, this is an area of dispute amongst Bible scholars that, that John's talking about people being struck dead uh, for their sin, like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, things like that, or people taking the Lord's Supper unworthily, like John or Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. But I, I, I don't think that. I think uh, John's talking about phys- or spiritual death. Because throughout the course of this entire letter, all the references to life and death have been about eternal life and eternal death. And I want to keep a consistent interpretation of that. And I don't think there's anything in the context that would dictate otherwise. Right? So we're going to stay consistent. Death here means spiritual death. All right? When we talk about that, we're talking about the eternal wrath of God. We're talking about the condemnation of sinners, damnation, and eternity and hell. That's what John's getting at whenever he says sin that leads to death. Sin that ends in hell. Second, John says there is sin that leads to death. And this is, this is very important. There is sin, not a sin that leads to death, but there is sin that leads to death. And I know I'm being a bit technical here, but just go with me on this. There is no definite article in the Greek. Like the word a, like that's a definite article in language. There is no a in the Greek text here. So it's not a sin that leads to death, but there is sin that leads to death. Right? So this is a category of sin that John is referring to. It's a type of sin, not one specific act of sin, but a type of sin, a category. And I think that John has actually already been pointing out this category all throughout the letter. Right? And that's why he doesn't specify here what that category is. I think his readers would have already understood what he was getting at because he's been pointing at it all throughout the letter. And this category of sin that leads to death is incredibly broad. It's huge. But before we get into the specifics, or before we really get into what what kind of sin is in this category, uh, I I just want to come out and say that I don't think, I want to say this emphatically, I do not think that a genuine Christian can commit sin leading to death. I do not think it's possible. If someone who wants, before we get into this, just know this, if someone who once professed to be a Christian goes this way and eventually falls into this category, they prove something that John said earlier in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Right, so as you guys, as we, as we get into this category here, if you know someone who once professed to be a Christian and is now in this category, they have proven to be a false professor, right? A false Christian. They professed faith, but they never possessed faith, right? It's just a good way to remember that. Thank you, Steve Lawson. Right, they professed it, but they never possessed it. What I'm getting at is God's people stay in the faith. God grants us perseverance until the end. Right? No believer will fully and finally fall away from the faith. And if a Christian does go astray, they will be brought back eventually. Right? So I don't think a true believer can commit this category of sin. Right? This sin that leads to death. Because this kind of sin, we're going to see, reveals something very important. This category of sin reveals that a person has not been born again. That this person is still spiritually dead. That this person has not repented of their sins, has not believed on Christ, and does not know God. 
All right, so with all that in your head, let's look at this category. And there's a lot of scripture. I'm going to be looking at passages. I'm not going to name them as I go, but it's uh, 1 John 1, uh, verses 8 and 10, chapter 2, verse 22, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, chapter 5, verse 6, 3, 4, 6 and 10. All right, so there, it's on record. I told you what they were, and I'll just go through them. <laughs> Lots of scripture. Again, I think John's been pointing at it all throughout. He says, first, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right? So denying that you're a sinner is in this category of sin that leads to death. Believing that you don't need to be saved from the wrath of God for sin. Denying the existence of sin or denying that you have transgressed the law of God enough to deserve his wrath falls into this category. In another part, John says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So denying that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the eternal Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world falls into this category of sin that leads to death. Another one, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So this, is, this falls in that category, denying that Jesus Christ physically came in the flesh. Denying that the eternal Son of God took on flesh and became a man. That Jesus was truly God and truly man. We read this one a few weeks ago. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So again, the blood here being very important. This is someone who denies that the death of Jesus Christ, the blood, was necessary for the salvation of God's people. All right, this is a part of that category of sin where someone says and believes that Jesus Christ's death was for no atoning purpose and was completely unnecessary and cannot save whatsoever. And then, so that's all belief stuff that falls into this category. But now we're going to get into a few moral things. John says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness here is living as if there was no law from God. Not even an attempt at obedience. A rejection of any or all of God's commandments to his people. John goes on to say, no one who, who abides in him. So no one who knows God keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And as we talked about many times in this series, John's talking about unrepentant sinning, an utter disregard for holiness. And then lastly, John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So this is that sin of refusing to walk in obedience to God. Again, a rejection of the law of God and refusing to love Christians. Having a hatred for the people of God. I know I just looked at a lot and we just covered a bunch of things. Wrong belief, rejection of who Jesus really is, rejection of his blood, living a lawless life and not loving your fellow Christian. Remember the three tests that John has been going through all along. The three tests. All of these things that we've just looked at are the marks of unbelief. They're the marks of unbelief. They're marks of a sinner who refuses the gospel. In looking at all those passages, what I've just tried to describe to you through John's words is an unregenerate heart. Right? Someone who has not been converted. 
This is clear evidence that someone has not exercised true faith in Christ. So sin that leads to death is unforgiven sin. I think that's what John's aiming at. It's unforgiven sin. It's sin that has not been repented of. Sin that has not been taken away from the sinner because the sinner has not trusted in Christ for salvation. And I think we can all agree that unforgiven sin is the only kind of sin that leads to hell. Right? Because we know Christians are still sinners, right? We still transgress the law of God, and yet it's been forgiven, so we're not going to suffer the wrath of God. So in a nutshell, I would say this. All that to say... Sin that leads to death is this category of an obstinate refusal to repent. Obstinate refusal. I will not repent. I love my sin. I reject the law of God. I will not turn from the sin that I love and a complete rejection of the gospel. I do not believe Jesus is who God says he is. I do not trust Christ. I do not trust in his atoning death on the cross. It's a rejection of the gospel and a complete obstinate refusal to repent of your sins. So it's not necessarily as mysterious as you probably thought. The sin that leads to death is unforgiven sin. But then John goes on to say something that we don't expect at the very end of verse 16. He says, I do not say that one should pray for that. That's even more challenging, isn't it? I do not say that one should pray for that. What he's saying is, I am giving you no command to pray for the forgiveness of the person who obstinately, unrepentantly rejects the gospel. That's what John's saying. He said, I'm not giving you any command to pray for that, that kind of a sinner. I'm telling you, you don't have to pray for them. Now, John doesn't forbid it, though. It's actually one of the only times, and I know some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Study it for yourself. I'll give you all the resources that I got. I didn't expect to come to this conclusion either. John does not forbid our praying. He says, I do not say that you should. It's the only time John gets a little bit ambiguous. He leaves it up to the reader, actually. But he gives no command to pray for this kind of a sinner like he does for Christians who fall into sin. The beginning of verse 16, he says, you shall pray for the brother who falls into sin. But for the person who obstinately rejects the gospel, he says, I do not say that you should pray for that. Now, why would John say that? Why would John say that that there is no command for us to pray for such a person? I think it's because in their current unrepentant state, there is no forgiveness available to them. Hear me on that. Well, apart from repentance, there is no forgiveness for sins. And in their unrepentant state, there is no forgiveness available for them. Their heart is hard toward God. They are without Christ, and without faith in Jesus, there is no forgiveness. So John doesn't command us to pray for their forgiveness because he has no promise to give us that they will be forgiven. Right? But he does give us a promise in the beginning of verse 16 for the believer, and we'll get into that in a minute. I think what he's saying is how earlier in verses 14 and 15, he says God will grant us the requests that are according to his will. Right? We can have confidence when we pray. That God obligates himself to his people to hear us. I think what John's saying here is God is in no way obligated to grant this request because that sinner is impenitent. If you ask God to give that person life, if you ask God to forgive them, they're impenitent and forgiveness only comes by repentance and faith. But, though we shouldn't ask God to forgive them, and some of you guys are going to think I'm talking out both sides of my mouth, but I'm not. These are different things. 
Though we shouldn't ask God to forgive them, or John gives no command for us to ask God to forgive them, we are still within the bounds of this text to ask God to grant them repentance and faith. We're still totally within bounds to ask God, please grant them repentance. But we cannot ask them, him, him to just forgive them for such sins, but grant them repentance, grant them faith, those things that lead to forgiveness. So again, we have no promise that God will certainly answer us, but there is no command that we must not pray. And let me tell you this, I strongly recommend that you pray for the repentance and faith of people who are obstinately rejecting the gospel. Right? So John's not telling you not to pray for sinners. All right? John's not telling you not to pray for sinners. They may repent. We don't know infallibly that they have sinned unto death. They may have, but I'm not sure that we can know that until they've died in their sins. So again, that's, that's a pretty tough passage. Uh, but in light of that, uh, kids, stand up. Yeah. Go ahead, it's cool. If you're real little, you can stand in the pew, just parents, make sure they don't fall. I'm putting the onus on you guys. Go ahead. Is that a, They're so short, I don't know if they're up. All right. Kids, I want you to listen to me. And I wanted you to stand up so you'd hear me, because I know you have a hard time paying attention from the seats. Just look at me whenever I tell you this. I want to explain something very clearly to you in light of what we just talked about, sin that leads to death. All of our sins deserve the wrath of God. All of them. Because of our sins, we all deserve God to hate us. Right? We all deserve God to punish us in hell forever. But... You can be forgiven for every single sin that you've ever done and every single sin that you will ever do if you'll turn away from your sins and trust in Jesus. If you'll trust him, if you'll trust what he did on the cross for sinners, where he suffered God's anger and the punishment that we deserve for our sins in our place. If you trust Jesus, you'll never, ever, ever commit sin that leads to death because all of your sins, past, present, and future, will have been forgiven in Jesus. Everything you could ever do will be forgiven in Christ. I just wanted you guys to be very clear on that. So turn to Christ and trust him. He died for sinners. You guys can go ahead and sit down. I appreciate you guys paying attention. Thank you. I love these kids. You guys don't even understand. All right, but back to the text. Verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Right? So John does not want us to be confused. Right? It's like he's saying, hey, don't get it twisted. I know I just talked about sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. Right? But don't get confused. All sin is unacceptable. All wrongdoing is sin. That is to say that as Christians, we do not wink at any sin. You feel me on that? We don't get, we don't, oh, we're going to give that one a pass. It's not that big of a deal. We don't do that. Even though there's a sin that leads to, or there is sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death, we don't wink at any sin. God hates all sin. From the least sin to the greatest sin, he hates it all. He is holy. Please, don't do what the Catholics do and try to separate sin into two categories of venial and mortal. This one doesn't really matter. This one actually matters. That's not what John is doing with this. Okay, he is, God is holy. All sin is an offense to him. All sin is to be hated, and we are not to make peace with even the smallest sins. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, if it's such a small sin, why don't you just give it up? Right? Even the smallest sins. We are to cast off all of it and repent of all of it daily. We are to seek to kill all of it because all of it is destructive. 
What I'm saying is all sin matters. That's what John's saying in verse 17. All sin matters. He's not putting it into a group of lesser and greater. Rather, it's forgiven and unforgiven. But nevertheless, it all matters. All wrongdoing is sin. But, John says, there is sin that does not lead to death. Uh, and I, I got a lot of encouragement from this. This is a great promise of great grace to the believer. Not all sin leads to death. Not all sin leads to damnation. Not the sins that have been forgiven through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is, this is great encouragement for us because we're sinners. But not all sin leads to death. Jesus Christ died for sinners. I cannot get away from that sentence here for this last month. Just think about that. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Therefore, not all sin leads to death. God forgives us in Christ. Hell is not the destiny for the one who has repented and believed on Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation. I will beat this word to death for you guys. He suffered the wrath of God and satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. Not all sin leads to death because for the sin of the believer, all has been satisfied in Christ. For the person who has been born again and trusts in Christ, no sin leads to death. We are forgiven. Past, present, future sin. Christ made atonement for all of it. And we belong to Him. We are saved. We are forgiven. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And thank God for that, because if, the, if all sin led to death, we would all be damned. We're weak. We disobey God, but praise be to Him. He's gracious to His people. And since the sins of believers do not end in death, John says that we ought to pray for one another when we see a fellow Christian fall into sin. Verse 16, first, bat, first half. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. All right, so let's break this down a little bit. So when we see a brother in sin, committing a sin, when we see, that is to say, when we're, you don't have to witness it yourself, but whenever you're somehow made aware of a brother falling into sin. When we see a fellow professing believer sin, let me stop here for a minute, that implies that the sin is observable. Right? The sin is observable. observable. So we are not to judge the hearts and motives and intentions of people. We can't do that. Only God gets to do that. But rather we judge what is observable. Right? And also we're not being the sin police. Right? This is when you're made aware of someone else's sin. So we're not looking to, quote, bust somebody because we're hypercritical of everyone and everything. Right? But when we are made aware of someone else and that they've fallen into sin, when we see a believer in sin, we are to pray for them. John says he shall ask. To ask in this context is to pray. John is on the topic of intercessory prayer, as we said in the introduction. We shall ask. We shall pray. When we see someone in sin. So John does not say that when we see a believer in sin, that we should hate them for it. I understand righteous indignation. But how often is our anger at that person who has committed sin? How much of it is really because they have transgressed a holy God who has loved them? No. It's, hard. it's almost never like that. 
Right? Whether we hate them because of whatever the transgression was. Sometimes we're prone to hate them. But John does not say we are to hate them for the sin they've committed. He does not say that we are to feel superior to them. You know what I'm talking about? You find out someone just messed up real bad. You puff your chest out because you've had a good couple of weeks, which actually weren't that good. You're just not aware of some of the sins you're committing. Right? John does not say to puff your chest out and feel superior to the person who's fallen into sin. John also does not say to gossip about the sin. He does not say, go to the first person you can find and shoot your mouth off and run your mouth about, can you believe that Dave did this? No. By the way, I'm not trying to cover my own tail on anything. John also does not say that we should crush them over it. He doesn't say if you see a believer fall into sin, you go crush them. And you know what I'm talking about. You hear of someone's sin, you beat your chest and say, I'm going to go get them and I'm going to set them straight. That's not what John says to do. And John also doesn't say this, that if you see someone in sin, that you should just ignore the sin. They'll be all right. Right? It's not any of my business. No. John says we are to pray for them. When we see a believer in sin, we are to pray for them. We are to take their case before God immediately. Immediately. First response, pray for them. We're to ask God, I think primarily in this context, we're to ask God to forgive them for their sins. God, forgive them. They belong to you. They're in Christ. They have sinned. Forgive them, though, on the merit of Christ. We're to ask God to forgive them. To ask God to convict them of their sin or to increase conviction. To show them their error. We're to ask God to restore them to walking rightly with Him. We're to ask God to grant them repentance, to help them, to love them, to bless them, to forgive and keep them in His grace. These are the things that we're supposed to ask for when we see a believer fall in sin. We, pr- prayer is to be our primary and immediate response when a brother or sister falls into sin. So just stop here for a beat. How often is that your first reaction? To pray. For some of you, I'm sure it is. But I would guess for many of us, there are two reactions. Just checking the temperature of of our church, and some of you might get mad at me for this. Whatever. Uh, I think there's two reactions if it's not prayer. The first is this, to gossip about them. You're made aware of some sin that someone's committed. And and I'm not talking about you're going to go tell the elders after you've appealed to the sinning Christian and begin the church discipline process. But I'm talking about you go run your mouth as quickly as you can to the nearest person that you can about the person. Can you believe that they did this? Hey, I heard this. And then you mask it in a prayer request. Oh, yeah, you should pray for them too. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I think that's a fairly common one. And if it's not that, and I think the second one's the biggest one, um, that I think we might be prone to in our church, or maybe this is just me um, imposing myself onto the congregation, because this is the one that I'm prone to do, and that's to ignore the sin, or to ignore the fallen Christian, and think that they, that, again, it's none of my business, they'll figure it out, it was just this, it wasn't, they didn't kill anybody, or they're not cheating on their wife, right, it's not that big of a deal, they'll be fine. Both of those are awful responses. Both of those are awful responses. Apathy is not an option for a Christian. And gossip is wicked. 
John Calvin said this, Surely it is an iron hardness not to feel pity when we see souls redeemed by Christ's blood going to ruin. It is an iron hardness of heart that we can see someone sin and not immediately go before the throne of grace on their behalf. We must be lacking. If our first reaction isn't to pray, we must lack Christian love or have a hard heart towards that person. But John says we shall ask. We shall. It's a command. You shall ask. We are commanded to go to God for them and pray for them. But I'll say this, I understand this isn't really in the text. We're going to shoot somewhere else for a second. Prayer is the immediate and constant thing that we do, but it's only the beginning of our response to a Christian caught in sin. All right? The Apostle Paul tells us something else that we're to do. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is one of my favorite passages uh, in the New Testament. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So he says, if you see anyone... Caught in any transgression. You who are spiritual, and that's not that's some next level. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not like the spiritual one in the church. No, it's if you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, and you're walking in step with the Spirit, essentially, if you're a Christian, you go to this brother gently and with humility, the one who's caught in sin, the one who's ensnared in sin, and you go and you help them and try to get them back up and keep following Christ. The goal in all of this, whether it's prayer or going to the person, is restoration. I can't emphasize that enough. It's restoration. It's not an I got you mentality and I'm going I'm to go bust them on this. Right? That's really stupid and not at all an attitude that is fitting for a Christian. But restoration is what's in mind. Maybe you're wondering, I don't know, what do you mean, how do I restore them? Let me tell you this, you get the ball rolling, you go to this person, you've seen, a, you've seen this sin, you've become aware of this, maybe they've confessed it, but you've seen it manifest itself again, and you go to them and you say, brother, sister, whatever it is, I see this in you. I see this, and this is not you. This is not who Christ redeemed you to be. This is not fitting for a Christian. What's going on? I'm serious. It's this simple. What's going on? How can I help? Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. Let's reason together on this. Because you want to see them restored because you love them. We pray and then in due time go and get involved with patient love and help them bear their burden in order to see them come out from that sin. This is our job in addition to prayer. Right? And we help hold one another accountable, right? We don't talk about it one time and then ignore it the next time we see it crop up or just, ah, it's too awkward to talk about it again. Right? But we, we keep on it. We hold one another accountable. We pray for the person caught in sin. We read scripture with the person caught in sin. We counsel with them. We reason with them. And we pray not only for them, but we pray with them. And this, let me encourage you to this. <laughs> Praying with somebody for sin that, they, that they're caught up in is more powerful, I think, than you'll ever know. And I'm not saying that there's like anything magic to it. I, 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 I don't know about, I'm off the notes. I don't know how to explain it, but there's, there's something about knowing that someone loves you enough that they would pray with you right now. That they take it so seriously right now that they want you to go to the throne of grace with them and appeal on your behalf for your forgiveness and your restoration. 
Pray with one another, not only for one another. So let me encourage you, if you see a brother or sister in sin, pray for them and go to them. Love them enough as your family member in Christ to seek their restoration and not leave them to flail in a sea of sin that they might drown, but help them. Don't gossip. Don't turn a cold heart to them. They've fallen. I'm not making excuses for the sin, but they've fallen. Have pity on them as God in Christ did towards you. Pray for them. Go to them. Love them enough to do those things. Love them enough to have the awkward conversation. Fulfill the law of Christ. Bear their burden with them. Love the people of God. I want to make one final point from our text now. John gives us great grounds. Again, this is encouraging. He gives us great grounds for confidence and boldness as we pray for and go to our fellow believer who has fallen. And that confidence is this. They will be restored. Right? They will be restored. They will have life. In verse 16 he says, He shall ask and God will give him life. God will give him life. John tells us to pray with the knowledge and faith that God will give that fallen brother life. That Christian ensnared in sin will repent. They will continue to follow Christ. They will get back up. They will receive resurrection life in the life to come. This is a certainty as far as John is concerned. You ask, why should I ask for the forgiveness and restoration of a fallen brother? Because God will Grant them life. It's a certainty for us. And hear me on this. This is great news to the believer who is praying and for the believer who has fallen. This is great news. God's will is that they live. God's will is that his people live. God always restores his people. Their sin will not end in death. It will not end in hell because God is gracious to His people and grants His people perseverance to the end. They will have life. And thank God for that. That He does not abandon His people. He forgives His people. He restores His people. Praise God, He is merciful to us through Jesus Christ crucified on our behalf. And as we close, I want to address three groups of people that I imagine are among us this evening. And the first is this. I want to address the unbeliever. Maybe, and when I say unbeliever, you, maybe you agree with all the facts of Christianity, but your life proves that you care nothing about the commandments of God. You have no love for the people of God. You, you have not repented. You do not follow Christ. You intellectually assent. Or maybe you reject all of it altogether. You reject even, even the, the foundational doctrines of our faith. But you're not a believer. You don't follow Christ. Hear me on this. All of your sin leads to death. All of your sin will end in death. It has not been forgiven. It is still on your record. You will pay for it. There is no hope for the one who obstinately rejects the gospel. 
Let me encourage you, do not be a fool and put off trusting in Christ. God may turn you over to your sin. He may turn you over to your sin and it will end in your damnation. You may end up like Esau in the Old Testament. The author of Hebrews says, he sought repentance with bitter tears and could not find it. His heart was so hard against the gospel, he rejected God. And God said, have your sin then. The author of Hebrews says, if we reject such a great salvation, what hope is there for us? But the Apostle Paul says, but now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. So if you're here and you're not a believer, repent and believe. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Don't be a fool. To the Christian caught in sin, do not presume upon God's grace. Do not be licentious, thinking that you have a license to sin, that it's okay because you're a Christian. Do not presume upon the grace of God. Repent and be forgiven. God holds out this restoration. You come be reconciled to me. Come walk with me. He doesn't reject. He will not cast out any who come to him through Christ. Don't be presumptuous. Lay your sin aside and pursue Christ with all you have. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Don't presume upon his grace, but repent. And lastly, to the Christian who is aware of another's sin, keep praying. Go to them in due time and do it in love and humility and all gentleness. Don't give up, but keep loving them and seek their restoration. I'll leave you guys with this. There is sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. But by God's grace, may we keep away from all sin by being watchful of ourselves and one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being gracious to us in Jesus our Lord. Thank you for the gospel that saves us, the gospel by which all of our sins are forgiven, that for the believer that none of our sins will end in death because Christ has been the propitiation for our sin. God, I thank you for Christ crucified. God, let us, let us leave here and not be presumptuous about your grace or, or at peace with any of our sin, but to let John's uh, message in verse 17 resonate with us. All wrongdoing is sin. But God, let us rejoice that our sin doesn't lead in death and let us have greater gratitude for you that we might be um, more encouraged and have a greater zeal to kill all of our sin. God, we do indeed thank you for the great grace that's in Christ. And Lord, for the unbelievers that are here with us this evening, I pray that you'd grant them repentance unto life. Grant them faith. Break them with your law that they might come to the gospel. But God, again, we praise you. And we thank you for saving us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name, amen.